This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This Podcast. Fact Check This Podcast, episode 45, and today we're going to talk to Kenneth Fitzlaff about the Department of Education, school choice, and some of that stuff. Uh, so it's a very important topic. It's something that a lot of people outside of libertarian circles maybe don't have a particularly high level of knowledge about just because most of us were public school educated. And so once you get out of school, you really don't... Uh, maybe care about it or look that far into it afterwards. But it's something that needs to be addressed and talked about. So, Kenneth, I want you to start out, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll kind of move on from there. Um, my name is Ken. I live in Vigo County, Terre Haute, Indiana, a member of the Libertarian Party of Indiana, uh, as well as a uh, officer uh, within the Vigo County Party. Um, I've been involved in politics professionally for about a year now, um, followed the pretty much throughout my entire life, originally from Chicago, um, and just trying to help with um, issues that are going to matter to Hoosiers and people around our state. Awesome. Yeah, I've, uh, I've just started to actively get involved here in Indiana over the past year myself, So we're uh, and we've both kind of followed uh, a similar little bit of a track with uh, getting active and, and getting acclimated to the state level of politics and stuff. Donald Rainwater definitely helped... Uh, push some of us in that direction who had been on the fence about how uh, engaged we wanted to be, I think. After, after following Donald and getting more involved and helping work the campaign and stuff like that, I was looking back through old posts of mine and early pandemic, I had made a post about, I don't like any of our options. Like who's our libertarian candidate? And I had never been one to actually vote third party. Um, but even I was aware, like, there's gotta be a better choice. There's gotta be something out there. And so the momentum behind that, um, I got contracted in with my food company to do an event with Don. And that's how I got to meet him. He hung out, uh, talked to him and uh, William Henry. And after that, I was like, man, I'm sold. What can I do to help you guys? Uh, and so ever since, it's just been like, you know, what can I do to, to help spread liberty and our, our ideals to other people and help educate them about why, we, why our sense of politics isn't necessarily superior, but is going to function better and help people to live their lives in the way that they want to live their lives without hurting anyone else. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that was kind of, I have voted third party before. Uh, usually I'd actually never voted for a libertarian party candidate before I had always voted uh, for like the constitution party or some like random independent. Like I had, I had uh, strayed from the duopoly, but, but never, particularly to the Libertarian Party. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that uh, a lot of times the Libertarian Party either looked like uh, Republican or Democrat light, and I didn't care for that. Like, being a hardcore Republican for a long time, there were a lot of things about the Republican Party that rubbed me the wrong way, and I didn't want a, you know, uh, a lightweight Republican. I wanted something that was different and stood apart from that. And the Libertarian Party just didn't really, they didn't really show me that for a long time. And then Donald came along and getting to meet him and William and talking to those guys, uh, they, they were really something different. Like they weren't towing that, that line that the duopoly always runs on. They were, they were setting themselves apart and that 
and then seeing that and, and some of the other things that are going on, you know, within the Libertarian Party on a national level uh, right now, it gave me some encouragement and hope that maybe that wasn't going to be uh, the future of the party. Like there would actually be real change for getting people on stage that mean what they say and are and actually promoting liberty and freedom and, and not just a little less of, <clears throat> or a little something different than what the other two are. Uh, so that was encouraging. Absolutely. What inspired me to, to ask you about being able to come on the show and, and do things like this was, you know, there was, there was some attention brought recently to maybe restructuring the way Indiana's school choice voucher system works and, and the way the program works. Um, one of our uh, state senators made some comments in regards to it and in support of it. And then just the amount of people that either had no clue how it works or, you know, the few that are so against it because they think it's taking money away from their local school district. When in fact, it's only enabling parents is like, I'd really like to get out in front of this. Um, and as a parent myself and, and to try and talk to people and let them see both sides of the story and, and why it's beneficial and how it doesn't actually hurt local schools, but makes them more competitive. Yeah. So if you could go into a little bit more detail about that, especially the kind of the funding side of it and how all of that works, because that is a, like for as much as we hear about um, teacher salaries and, and the schools and how they're funded and everything, there are definitely concerns that maybe the schools aren't being properly funded. And if we start, uh, exploring alternative schooling choices, then that's going to hurt the school systems. So explain how some of that funding stuff works so that people kind of get a, an idea of where that money is coming from and going and kind of how that all works out and how school choice and charter schools and other things like that kind of play into that mix. In Indiana, schools are funded in three primary ways. First and foremost, approximately 40, 44% of school funding does come from your local property taxes. So whether you pay that to your city, your municipality, or your county, that funds that portion of schools. Uh, approximately another 40% comes from the state's general fund. And the difference, 8 to 8 to 10%, is made up by the federal government. That, unfortunately, leads us into the problem of school uh, uh, no child left behind. Uh, when No Child Left Behind was designed, it rewarded schools for training and educating just for a test, um, getting students to do the bare minimum, you know, allowing, uh, you know, allowed us to do a myriad number of things and, and keeping graduation rates high, but it didn't help in actually educating, you know, basic skills, things of that nature, as opposed to just putting everyone in a generalized class and calling it good. When we look at being able to do things like school choice, which Indiana does have a program, it's not perfect, but when we look at being able to do that, um, you know, we look at school choice in Indiana covers six different types of schools. You have your traditional public schools, public charter schools, magnet schools, private schools, online academies, homeschooling, and learning pods. What that allows us to do as parents is not only shop the market as we would for anything else when you're looking for a new car or insurance premiums or anything else but it allows us to find 
the best possible avenue for our children to succeed. And it's unfortunate when you look at the way it's presented, because it's either presented only as good or only as bad. And if it's presented as good, it's only, you know, so oftentimes it only goes down the road of, well, you know, I already pay a ton in taxes. I'm, you know, Christian conservative, or, you know, I have this this great private school near me and I want to send my kids there and I'm already paying a butt ton in taxes. Now I'm forced to pay the full tuition. Here in Vigo County, for example, the average cost of educating a student's K through 12 is $6,400 per year. And school choice does benefit someone who wanted to send their kids to a private school. Uh, St. Patrick's Catholic School here in in Vigo County charges about $9,000 per year. So as a parent, school choice does not cover that whole nine grand. It doesn't take that out of the piggy bank for, for public schools. What it does is it allows you as a parent to say, if you feel that that would be the best educational opportunity for your child, for $6,500. Now, you're still responsible for the balance, uh, that $3,500. You're still responsible for that. But it, it does help to lessen the burden on people because they are paying taxes into the public school system, and it should benefit their children just as much as it benefits the next child. Uh, when you look at larger school districts, um, Vigo County does not have a lot of different types of schools, but Indiana does have a lot of larger municipalities. And when you look at larger school districts, they have alternative schools for children who might be developmentally disabled, they might be have behavioral issues, they might have just learning disabilities. And if that's the case, then they can go to an alternative school, they can go to a vocational school. In, in some regions, you know, uh, especially Indianapolis, Elkhart, Fort Wayne, uh, I believe they're going to try doing it again in, in Evansville, is, is the magnet school for uh, academically inclined um, bright children. Uh, and to, to allow parents to make those choices is only going to benefit students, which are the future of our country in the long term. Uh, And then again, when you look at what's going on in in larger urban centers, when you don't have school choice, if someone has a child who needs to go to a special needs school or who has a child who would benefit from going to a public charter school or a magnet school, they can't because there's not one in their district or not one within their zip code or however it's structured. Well, that's punishing somebody because of their where they live or quite possibly in a lot of for black and brown children or poor people it it punishes them for their class um you know the racism and bigotry does exist in 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 how people are segregated where they live uh, you know and it does not allow them the opportunity to move up in the world and when you have a child who might live in a rural community or a poor community or a black and brown community and you say, hey, you know, if, if they're putting in all this hard work and they're excelling and, and overachieving academically and their school doesn't offer those maybe advanced placement programs or STEM, uh, STEM learning. OK, well, if you as a parent are willing to transport your child, wake up a little earlier every day, work around your work schedule to transport your child to a district that has those things, you're absolutely allowed to, even if it's out of district. And then for a lot of us, we just prefer homeschool. We realize that we don't believe that 
public education, that mass education is the way to go for our children. Again, for those parents uh, who homeschool or believe in the online academies uh, for their children, whether it's due to a a work thing or, or whatever the reason is, when we allow those parents to still reap the same, the same rewards and resources, it encourages them and gives them the proper tools to be able to be successful. And I don't think that we should ever look to critique doing what's best for our children and for our families. It's still the same amount of money going into the pot. And one of the biggest arguments, again, that it comes back to is, well, you're taking money away from local public schools. Yes and no. Yes, those parents, if a large enough group of them decide to send their children to a private school or send them to a charter school or homeschool them, they do get the, those vouchers. That money does come out of the fund. I would venture to say uh, the little bit of research that I have seen that they've done in, in those types of things is, is the reasons why is when parents don't believe in the quality of the public education near them. You know, they, they look for these alternatives. Overwhelmingly, though, and the Cato Institute and the Heritage Institute have, have both, uh, or the Heritage Foundation, I should say, have both shown that it benefits the students, though, and it creates competition within the market. If it's no different than shopping for a car, shopping for insurance, when schools have to compete for, a, you know, there's a set amount of funds in the education budget every year. And when public schools are told, you know, you're underperforming, you have a failing grade. I think Indiana had a D plus in education in uh, they reviewed 17 different areas of government. The study came out last week. And I want to say we got a a D minus all around. I want to say we got a D plus in education. And when you look at that and you say, well, we're clearly failing our, our children, then what then what do we need to do better? The state just spent $20 million over three years for the next level education program, part of the next level jobs and Indiana's next level program. So we spent and sent to a think tank $20 million, two years. Money that could have went to a migrate number of other things, by the way. But we used $20 million of taxpayer funded money for them to come back and say, well, you should pay teachers more. And that, that's an entirely different argument we can get in as to what creates value. But if a school is unwilling to focus primarily on their whole reason for existence, which is improving and enriching the minds and education of our youth, then they shouldn't continue to receive the benefits of our money. If you hire someone to dig holes in your backyard and you say, I need 10 holes dug tonight by 5 p.m. and I'll pay you $500 for it. And at 5 p.m. you come out and there's only five holes dug. Do you feel that they deserve that $500? I don't think anybody else. Absolutely not. And I think the vast majority of Americans would agree on that. If you agree to a wage for a service performed, then that service needs to be performed. And when we continually look at these state report cards that we give our state, and these are state employees generally giving these report cards saying that we are an absolute failure. When we continue to get these and we continue to not change things, we have to look for other avenues. And so it is my belief and the belief of the number of places that have done a vast amount of research over a number of years 
that school choice and putting vouchers in the hands of parents and allowing them to make these decisions for themselves is the way forward. If public schools want to continue to receive the same level of funding, then they need to do a better job with the funding they currently have. And on the topic of needing to pay the teachers more, that's something that I've always argued is that these, like the private schools pay their teachers more. Like it creates a competitive market where if you're a good teacher, you can have an opportunity to teach at one of these good schools and make that money. It, it should be viewed as an incentive. Like it should create a true competitive market where people are actively engaged in doing better and creating that service value for the students and the parents that you can capitalize on that. And, you know, if I do really good at my job, I have the opportunity to, to prove that and then to turn that into more money, uh, you know, opportunities for raises, promotions, you know, stuff like that. The, the teachers should have the same opportunity. And if there's com competition within the system, then that opportunity is going to present itself. But when it's just the, the school system is whatever the state has deemed it to be and the teachers union gives them whatever they determine is <laughs> then you you have no incentive to do better like you're just gonna do what you have to do to to make sure that you're getting the score that you need so that you can keep your job absolutely and i i don't i don't want it to seem i, I have friends that are educators and I don't want it to seem as I'm coming across as trying to say, well, you know, you don't deserve your job. You should get a pay cut and this and that. I don't think that it's so much the teachers, although I am not one doing the research, you know, doing these studies and doing the research. But I, I wouldn't so much lay the blame at the feet of the teachers so much as the bureaucracy and the administration level. Um, the absolutely. State Board of Education. I say absolutely. And that's oh, something ahead. that I hit on regularly because like I have a lot of very good friends who are teachers and I know every one of them is an excellent teacher and they work hard and they do their very best to do the best they can for those kids. My mom was a teacher for, since I was in uh, fifth grade, she started teaching and she poured her heart and soul into those kids every year. Like it's not always the teachers. There are, you know, with every profession, there are, you know, a bad apple in the bunch here and there, but for the most part, the teachers sincerely want to do good and try hard. It is the bureaucracy. It's the whole, everything about the department of education and the state's involvement in it that, that kind of corrupts the thing from the top down. Oh, absolutely. And you know, this the state board of education, uh, this was shared to me from, uh, Don, professor Don Woosley, uh, who's a professor here in the state of Indiana. And she told me, for the last five years, the State Board of Education, in their yearly meetings, um, comes up with a list of four or five major goals that they want to achieve in trying to create better public schools in the state of Indiana. Five years in a row, the exact same minutes, you know, meeting list, uh, organizational structure, their plan has been the same. They haven't been able to add anything new to it because they haven't achieved any of their goals. We pay the top educator, uh, 
in the state of Indiana, $1.25 million per year. Uh, this education office out of Indianapolis, I want to say there's something close to $10.5 million that goes just into their administrative budget. And we have had the same line item, same goals for five years in a row, and not one of them has been achieved. If they want to complain about teachers needing to be paid more, like the the admin fees and the bureaucracy is where that money needs to come from. Like that's that seems like a no brainer to you know to I don't know anybody with half a lick of business sense, like anybody that's had to to run a P and L sheet or you know manage your budget for a business or something. Like if you've got that much tied up in top end bureaucratic bullshit for lack of a better way of describing it like that's where the that's where the cuts have to come and that's where the money needs to be filtered from we have 10 regional scattered across the state teacher resource centers do you know that teachers from your district from my district from all over the state public school teachers have to then pay out of their own pocket to be able to access this publicly funded teacher resource center which provides training and learning materials to use in the classroom. How does that make any sense? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, that is I know insane. You're, you're friends with some educators that they might have some more insight into that, but I do know that they do have to pay out of pocket to be able to use these regional facilities. That is so nuts. That, no, I, and, and again, no, it's just, it's, it's horrible. There's so much waste, uh, so much waste, but at the same point in time, even if even if there was no waste, you know, you, you still have these local school district administrators, people run for school board, they make it about politics, it's a stepping stone before they have to put an R or a D next to their name. There's a whole bunch wrong here. But even if, I, I, I don't understand the logic to argue against school choice. Because ultimately, whether that does cost some, some funding, from your local public school district. Okay, maybe your school district has 10 schools. I think there's like 18 here in the Vigo County uh, School District. So m maybe they got to cut one or two because they just don't have the funding for it anymore. Well, those teachers aren't out of a job. Those students went somewhere. They're still in the system because the other schools that they went to now have to hire more people to teach the children. And generally, these charter schools, magnet schools, alternative learning schools, private schools have smaller classroom sizes. So for every, you might have a classroom of 20 to 30 students in a public school. And in the private schools, you've got 10 to 15 students per person, per educator. Uh, so there, it, it actually creates more jobs for educators. Um, so that, that's not a very good argument either. Uh, no, those are excellent points. And I mean, so this is this has really gotten to the heart of, of this topic and what I wanted to hit on, because, you know, this there is always a lot of pushback, uh, especially to, you know, the magnet schools and the charter schools and stuff like that. And and yes, like there are there are definitely examples of uh, these types of schools that have proven not to work or that were a racket of some sort. But even so, like even in those cases, like it's uh, at least as far as as far as I can tell and kind of my opinion on it, it's a it's a trial and error type system. And has it has, have those like for the failures of those types of uh, schools where they've you know done it 
a different way and have these like private schools or charter schools that that may have failed did they did they fail because they weren't providing the educational value to the kids or did they fail for <coughs> some other you know shady stuff that was going on like it, it's typically because of something not related to education that that causes those to fail. exactly and i think i think here in indiana the biggest example we can give of that is gary public school system which went nearly entirely charter school there for a while after a private equity firm and the government had the state had to step in and take over the city of Gary because of its mismanagement, corruption, fraud, a number of other things. And so in Gary, they contracted a bunch of charter schools run by private organizations, uh, gave them public money, didn't do a lot of due diligence in these companies, um, which sort of sprung up overnight. They weren't national accredited, you know, charter school managers. And then only gave them one-year contracts. Okay, so we got to hire these people, tell them they're pretty much on temp status. So for for some of the schools, it was, you know, what what have I got invested in this? I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna lose the building that I'm renting, the teachers. I'm gonna lose my job here in a year. It's just a little trial thing. So the investment in it wasn't there. And then some of it had to do with just cronyism and, and that type of thing, you know, here, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll give you this contract for this, you know. And so, I mean, again, it came down to corruption. I mean, they're starting to see that that some of the city politicians had had their hands in the pot, stuff like that. So the, the failures that you see in, in charter schools or in school choice aren't because, it has nothing to do with the parents and for a large part it doesn't have to do with the educators it has to do with junky corporations who really shouldn't be in the business of educating our children and you know we're in gary the parents didn't have a choice it was okay move out of gary which we know you can't afford to do or get stuck with this company that we put in here to run our school system uh Interestingly enough, students participating in school choice programs are significantly more likely to graduate from high school. In Indianapolis alone, since this program's been in implemented, they've seen a 21 percentage point increase in graduation rates. I mean, that's that seems like that's, you know, results that are proving themselves out. You know, uh, statistics can can be uh, manipulated to, to tell the tale you want them to, but you know, in a case like that, where you're seeing that that kind of an increase, I mean, it's hard to uh, it's hard to twist something to get to get that sort of a a show of return on investment. Oh, absolutely! And then you know, talking about return on investment, here, here's here's an example I like to use just for the monetary dollar figure back. Uh, school choice mechanisms like vouchers, tax credits, scholarships, and education savings account cost a fraction of what is spent in the public system. So they're a win-win both for taxpayers and for students. One study found that access to the DC Opportunity Scholarship Program, because of its positive impact on graduation rates, produced a $2.62 return for every dollar spent on the, on the voucher program. Basically, these students, they were more educated, they were better prepared to enter society and enter the workforce, and economically, for every dollar that was invested in their education, the return was $2.62. Anybody with half a lick of business sense knows that's a, you know, that's a winning uh, plan there. Like that's a strategy that's going to work and 
and should be explored more. Well, you got anything else you wanted to talk about with all that? Because, I mean, that's that's a lot of content, and it's a lot of really good stuff that'll, like, I feel like this is stuff that um, most people don't know enough about or really understand the nuts and bolts of how it works and and having kind of having it kind of laid out like that it helps to simplify it and and make it relatable so people like have an understanding of of where the money's going and and how the whole system kind of works and can see that it's you know it's not this evil thing that uh that you might be led to believe by taking kids out of a public school system like it's not it's not the end of the world it's Actually, it's promoting uh, it's promoting competition and and in reality that should make the system better. I I have one thing that I want to touch on, and let me preface this first with why I think it's important. In today's society, I think we can all agree that America, in one form or another, has been prejudiced against one group of minorities or another for its entire history. Whether it was natives, whether it was black people, whether it was brown people, whether it was Asian Americans, the Irish for a period of time. Um, it, we have spent so much of our time creating classism and racism and so many other things. And I think that empowering our youth, giving them the best opportunity to be able to succeed, teaching them as much as we possibly can. Now, every student is unique. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. I think, in my own opinion, I think um, No Child Left Behind was a horrible, horrible decision because it, it thought that there was a one-size-fits-all solution to the problem. One thing I want to quote here real quick is not only does school choice increase academic achievement, but it has been shown to drastically reduce causes of racial and economic segregation. The National Bureau of Economic Research completed a study which found that among children of low socioeconomic statuses, the ability to participate in school choice programs ultimately increased secondary school completion rates by 15 to 20 percent. Additionally, school choice just naturally turns segregated schools into less segregated schools because students have the opportunity to attend schools outside of their neighborhoods. Yeah, that's uh, so something that I saw in Mississippi when I lived down there was <clears throat> a lot of the the actually the actual good schools were the private schools. The, the public schools were generally not very good. And and so like it and and the the private schools gave scholarships to kids like it wasn't this super exclusive club uh, yes there were there were kids that didn't have the opportunity to go to the private schools but it wasn't for a lack of uh, interest it was more that the public schools were kind of propped up and kept going where the some of these kids didn't have a choice. Whereas if those, if those institutions were removed and say that public funding got reinvested into the parents to be able to send those kids or was reinvested into the kid themselves to go to those private schools, they, it could have made all the world a difference. It could have gotten, you know, 
gotten kids opportunities that they otherwise didn't have because of the way the public school system was construed. Like if you lived in the wrong part of town, you were just screwed. Uh, and there was no getting around it. Uh, you know, and that's having school choice and the ability to move around and, and make a decision like your parents to be able to make a decision to, to get you out of a terrible situation perhaps i mean it, you know it can make a world of difference and the public school system because that because of the bureaucracy of it and the way you know the state just tends to mismanage everything that they touch it it runs it into the ground and it just it stymies the ability to to have any flexibility or choice or or opportunity and the less opportunities you have the the less likely you are to be able to to change your your lot in life no, absolutely. I mean, go to go to Indianapolis, and you don't even have to say, "Well, look at Fishers versus you know, like Thirty Eighth and Girl Scout Road." You know, and just look at the building of what a public school building is. Just go to Indianapolis, go to a nice neighborhood, drive past a, a public school, and then go to Thirty Eighth and Post Road. Go over to thir you know, uh, uh, Lawrence area or the Lower East Side. And look at the school buildings. Tell me the ones in the nicer neighborhoods don't have nicer schools. Now, those are in the same district. Why is that? Why do the ones in the richer neighborhoods have better looking buildings? Let's pretend that just, oh, well, you know, that neighborhood was, I don't care what your excuse is. Go ahead and then enroll your students in one of those schools. Get a tour. Do something. Go look at the textbooks. Go look at the school books. Go look at the library, the computers. I guarantee you, I'll cut off both my thumbs. Make a thumb sandwich here. We'll go ahead and cut them up. We'll saute them in butter. But I'm telling you what, go look and go look at their textbooks, their computer labs, their, their math and science labs. And I guarantee you that the ones over on 38th and Post Road aren't as nice as the ones in a nice neighborhood. Now they're in the same district. So we're not still shaming and racially segregating and economically and socioeconomically segregating people. We are not keeping people from achieving greatness, there's a problem with that. And that's a fundamental problem. Oh yeah. It's okay if the government does it. It's <laughs> there. That's, that's just part of the, that's just part of the system. That's how it works. Uh, and, and we don't understand how it works so they can get away with it. I don't think there's a parent out there, whether it doesn't matter whether you have a, a D or an R or if you're a green party member or libertarian, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter. There's not a parent out there who loves their child who doesn't want the very next child to have the very best things. Well, if that's what we truly want, then we need to all jump on board, do some research on this, do our own due diligence, look at other studies that have been done, and see how this really benefits our children. And, you know, the other night I sat there and got into a social media argument for an hour with one of our uh, person didn't know who I was. And at the time, until I did a little more digging, I didn't know who they were. They're a school administrator for Vigo County School District. Crying, my funds, my money, you're going to hurt our children. No, your paycheck might suffer because you're doing a bad job. But my child's going to receive a better education and be better off. And ultimately, that's what education is for. So, so long as government is involved in taking taxes from us, and having schools and having school standards 
and this isn't the 1800s anymore. So long as government wants to have a say in how our children are educated, then every children deserves our, every child deserves our very best. Absolutely. And that is a hundred percent right. It shouldn't matter what the administrator's uh, check looks like. It should matter that the kid is getting the education that they need at the end of the day. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your show this evening. Well, Kenneth, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. It was excellent content, excellent information. And for anybody that's looking to get a hold of Kenneth, Kenneth, he is in the 8th District in uh, Vigo County, up around Terre Haute. And he is very active with the Libertarian Party. And if you've got questions about stuff, hit him up because he knows a whole bunch of stuff about a whole bunch of stuff and is very active and passionate about it. So uh, thanks for coming on, Kenneth. And we will see you later. Thank you and have a great evening.